Gretchen Carlson. So they never tell me what the category is because I think it's fun to be surprised and learn about what you're passionate about. So what is your top, what is the category of your top five list? Well, thanks for having me, Rachel. Um, so you go into this cold, I guess. In the, in the TV world, which I'm very adept at, that would be very risky. But I, I, love, I love that you do it this way so that you're also surprised. Well, I have so many interests and so many passions and it's very hard for me to decide, but I decided to choose my top five females in television who were breaking barriers. Oh, I love this list. Okay, great. And my favorite, my favorite thing about this show is that people have such a wealth of knowledge in really unique spaces. Obviously, this is something that is uh, near and dear to your heart, given your career. But I feel like not only me, but listeners are also going to learn about it as well. So the question I always follow up with is, is your top five list a collection or is it like ascending into the number one pick? Oh, no, no, there's no, um, I wouldn't want to do that to my okay. female colleagues. <laughs> there's no hierarchy here. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. And I wouldn't want to rank them by age either. Right, right. <laughs> okay. So then who is the first person on your list? Well, so the first person is going to be Joan Rivers. Uh, Joan okay. Rivers. Yeah. I mean, just one of the most talented females ever to grace television screen or any stage. And I always admired her from afar. And then when I got to know her and interview her countless times, I realized, wow, this woman is a hard worker. Mm. So just to put it in perspective, she used to come on, on the live shows when I was doing, you know, CBS news and then, and then Fox news. And she was the most prepared guest ever. She would come and write all of her jokes that morning and she would write them in pencil. I'll never forget that. She would write them on a, you know, scribble them on a piece of paper and she was by far the most funny guest that we, you know, that we ever had. And she was just so well prepared. And I think about what an icon she was as the first female to host a late night comedy show as well. And uh, obviously she left us too soon, but she was so gracious too. Uh, she, when she would come on the show, she'd be like, hey, come to my comedy show. And, and she'd, get, she'd say, invite some friends. And she would give me the tickets and feed me dinner and, you know, and we would laugh. And, and so I just think that she really paved the way for women and broke so many barriers in so many different ways. Well, and I think she's one of those people that that I don't know that the public fully understands truly how savvy she was in business and how hard she worked. And I, I'm trying to think if it was a show or a documentary that I saw. I mean, she was still touring. She was still going out and doing shows. All she worked constantly, which yeah, was, was so amazing. Okay, yeah, remember that in the documentary? I don't know if you remember this, but she had like a, a card catalog system of all of her contacts. Right. It like reminded me of going to the library when I was a kid, you know, before, before we got the internet and our kids, my kids will never even know what I'm talking about, but yeah, she just was so organized and, and had this drive. And I, I try to explain to my kids all the time who are teenagers now that, you know, you can teach some drive, but a lot of drive is innate. And Mm -hmm. I'm so happy that I was also born with that fire in my belly because it keeps me going on good days and bad days. And I wake up every morning and I have to be optimistic because that fire is there. Okay, I'm going to accomplish something today. And, and that's who she was. And that's why I think she was an amazing role model for women. 
Brad Paisley. What will your category be? Women in country music. So tell me, what's the first woman, the first female country singer you are going to put on your list? Let's start with currently. Let's okay. okay let's start with my longtime partner in crime, Carrie Underwood. Right. Okay. So tell us when did you first meet her, or were you did you like know her through music before you got to meet her in real life? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I like everyone. I saw her win American Idol, and and also very clearly be you know right after Kelly Clarkson had gone on and become who knew what she was going to become. She's now even bigger than ever. But with Carrie, here's a pure country, you know, Oklahoma girl that you realized it's like, okay, there are going to be people that come and go from this show, but this person is going to rule Mm. wherever she chooses. And she does. But, you know, I did not expect and none of us could have expected what she would bloom into. I mean, we're talking about like, you know, great singer, charismatic and all that. But who knew that she would become this gold standard in every way, you know? And I'm lucky that I got to, uh, for so many years and for, and throughout, you know, and, and through our friendship and through collaborations, I got to stand next to her as we watched her become a force, both uh, musically and also as a host, as a personality and a businesswoman. And, Mm -hmm. you know, she reminds me in so many ways of Dolly in the way that Dolly, like who would have thought that Dolly would like, here's this amazing, beautiful woman from East Tennessee that turns into a mogul. (laughs) Right. <laughs> no and who, you right. know not everybody has that in them mm-hmm. and carrie became this unbelievable ah oh man I, I just like i watched her when we first started hosting the cmas and we were kind of handed scripts first year it's like okay we rewrote a little and because it just didn't feel quite like us but it was last minute and we didn't have a lot of time to prepare by the second year we were really starting to both get involved and like going no 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 here's what we should do and we discovered our personalities together as a hosting duo and mm-hmm. as friends and you know we met shortly after she won american idol she she had her first hit jesus take the wheel what a first hit right. it wasn't like right you know what i'm saying it's not like right it's, it's not like you'll never remember her first song so no you'd never forget her first song yeah it was incredible and it just got better and so she went out as an opening act on the road with me. I was one of her first tours. Oh, I don't think I became, knew that. Yeah, we became friends right away. You know, she's a really good person. And that's, that's the trick. Everything that she does has that underneath. I'm curious because given your experience in this industry, you have to have seen people come and go like people who are super talented or people who had that certain something or what do you think it is like that makes it so that someone sort of just hits that wave and goes like what is it about the personality or is it work ethic or is it you are just a genuinely nice human and you're willing to work hard and so people want to help kind of oh that that has nothing to do with it sometimes (laughs) i think 
it's different for everybody, but there's some, there's gotta be some combination of those things. And there's always the X factor too, of like, there's some luck involved in any music career, but it's a lot more work than luck. And in Carrie's case, you know, we had some candid conversations early on where she always felt a little bit like people said, oh, you won American Idol. So you didn't have to pay your dues, which isn't true. She paid her dues all the way up to that. And then it's kind of, it reminds me of the Dodgers winning the World Series last year. They played a 60-game season versus mm-hmm. a 160-game season, you know. People can say, oh, man, they won it on a 60-game season. So did everybody. Everybody else lost it on a 60-game season. <laughs> yeah, that's real. She won. That's She real. won fair and square with all of her talent. And in that sense, like, I think, you know, we're talking about the idea that destiny had some part in it but at the same time that only gets you so far there's a lot of names none of us remember that won that show that's real and she is the face of country music and for so many years and in so many ways and and in that sense um yeah i I just think that it's inspiring it's it reminds me of my new song in the sense that she just does not stay in her lane it's like Mm -hmm. you can say you know great singer very pretty there's your lane. No, right. she right. is so smart and funny and talented and able to do and and a businesswoman with a with a athletic apparel line and a selling just everything out that she does. It's great. Marlo Thomas. Well, so let's jump in. What is your first date on your list? My first date is January 1977. I went on the Donahue show. Oh, and gosh, okay. I had, and I had not ever seen the Donahue show because it wasn't in Los Angeles at that time. And it was a really a Midwest show at that point. And like in two years later, it was LA and New York. So I'm in the green room waiting, you know, to go on. And uh, I didn't really want to do it because it was nine o'clock in the morning and he only had one guest for an hour. And I <laughs> said to my press agent, I'm not smart enough at 9 a.m. for an hour. You know, she said, well, that's the way he does it. And you have to do it. He's the biggest thing in the Midwest that was promoting a movie. But anyway, so I went, he came into the green room and it was like those shampoo commercials and everything went kind of slow, you know, and, he was so gorgeous with his white hair and his bright blue Irish eyes. I I just went, I, that was it. I just, I just fell for him. And then I found Aww. out later, I found out later that he fell for me too, you know? And uh, so we got into the, to the uh, room, into the studio audience and we just flirted for like a whole hour, the two of us. I mean, it's truly the most embarrassing show you'll ever see. And I was how talking funny. about I was talking about feminism and how I never wanted to be married and how I didn't think marriage was a good institution for women and going on and on in my, you know, militant feminist way and saying things like, oh, Phil, you're so funny, Phil. You know, just, <laughs> I think a complete jerk. Oh, at the end of the show, uh, he said to me, well, you're just fascinating. And I took his hand and I said, you are so nice and you obviously like women. And whoever is the woman in your life is very lucky. So, and were you fishing? Were you fishing to no, find out if there was a woman? Okay, you're being sincere. Off the air, you know. I was just 
paying him a compliment that I really felt. And as we were, as I left the studio, I was on my way to go to Denver to do other shows, you know, I was around, going around the country. And I was going out to the car to leave, to go to the airport. The producer was with me, his, his producer, and a nice woman. And I, I said to her, wow, he is really cute. And she said, yeah, and he's available. <laughs> Isn't that so funny? And what happened then? Was and, that like, you got a number? Like, what, what's called, next step? He called me. He called me, uh, and that's my second good date, was he called me um, the next day, I think it was, and he said, I'd love to take you to lunch or something. And I said, well, I'm in Denver. Is Denver very far from Chicago, you know? And he, <laughs> and he said, oh, no, Denver's not far from Chicago at all. And uh, I said, well, great. Why don't you come have dinner with me? I was at the Brown Hotel in Denver, and, um, and he came. And um, that was it. <laughs> wow, that yeah. is so cool. And I, also I like sort of the next day call because I feel like that's something that doesn't really happen now. I feel like someone gets someone's number and then four weeks later, they oh. send a text. <laughs> yeah, he didn't, get, he didn't get my number from me. I, 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 actually, I don't know, believe, I guess they told him I was at the Brown Hotel, Brown, Brown Palace, yeah. the Brown Palace in Denver. And and that was, it was funny because um, he, my husband is a very low key guy. You know, he's a middle class Midwestern guy. And the studio had this gigantic limousine waiting for me to take me to all the different interviews and stuff. So he was taking me to dinner and I said, let's hop in the car. He said, no, I don't want to drive in a limousine. Okay. So we walked to the, to the restaurant and it started to rain. So he, I said, you want to get in the car now? He goes, no, we don't need a car. Okay. So the limousine is following us to the restaurant. <laughs> and it's very pouring, pouring rain. He takes off his jacket, like a fine gentleman that he is. And I put it over my, I had a, a she said I look like Spider Woman. I had a, I thought a very sexy black jumpsuit, which he thought, told me weeks later that I look like Spider Woman. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I had his jacket over me and he was sopping wet. He got back to the studio. He, then he flew out the next morning uh, to get in time for work. And he lost his voice. So they did the show but at 9 a.m., but, but he couldn't really talk. And so it didn't, it, they couldn't play it. Oh, and it was, wow. And Phil never missed a show in his entire night, 29 years of doing the Donahue show. So this one show, the first time, his date with me, he loses his voice and they have to throw the show out. Oh my so, gosh. Yeah, oh yeah. So everybody was already not liking this uh, idea. <laughs> You're already trouble. Joe Biden. How are you doing? I'm just I'm glad that everybody skipped the uh, Justin Timberlake concert tonight to to be here. And that's a big deal. I'm glad my daughter wasn't here had to make a choice. <laughs> um, I have no idea how I have this distinct honor, but I am so grateful Thank to get to sit it. with you, of course. Uh, so I'd love to ask, I think most of us believe that we have some idea, we have, we have an idea of who you are or an opinion of who you are. I would love it if you could describe yourself to someone who's never met you. 
Well, that's uh, that's a hard thing to do. I don't know. I mean, uh, I, maybe I never had that question asked to me before. <laughs> maybe the way that I would describe myself is uh, like I suspect most of you would, based on the values you were raised to to think matter. Um, I was telling you when we were talking backstage that my dad had an expression. He said, uh, he used to use it all the time, that families, the beginning, the middle, and the end. Everything resolves around family. And that, no, for real. I mean, it's, uh, it's uh, I, uh, I have, uh, and my family has been uh, raised in the public eye. I've been a, uh, I've been a senator since I've been 29 years old. Uh, all of my children, there were two and, I mean, just three and four years old when I got elected, and one and a half, and my daughter wasn't, fourth daughter wasn't born yet. And, uh, but my dad and my mom had sort of a basic value set. My dad used to say that, remember, Joe, that, uh, you're either to be a man or a woman of your word, or you're not a man or a woman. Your word is your bond. It's the thing. My colleagues, and you'll even see the president, former president, other presidents kid me, and they say, yeah, I know, I'll give you my word as a Biden. We had an expression in the family that if you meant, if something really was important, my and my parents wanted to know exactly what the deal was, it says, give me your word. If you gave your word, that was your sacred oath. And, uh, um, and I, I think that uh, most everything that uh, I've cared about in the way I was raised and hopefully the way I've conducted myself is that everybody is entitled to be treated with dignity. Everybody, no matter what. No, I really mean it. My dad would no more walk by the guy at the shoeshine stand and not say hello to him and say hello to the chairman of the board of the DuPont Company and Hotel DuPont than fly. We, I was telling you the most devastating thing my dad could say was, you disappoint me. <laughs> he only said it twice in my life. I remember both times. And I was a U.S. senator. He, was, uh, he had retired three times. He hated not working. And he went back to work. And he was in Philadelphia. We live in Wilmington. And I went up to, I had to be up there and we take him to lunch and walking along. He was ahead of me and I was with another guy, a good friend. And a uh, guy walked across the street and asked me for some money. He was uh, begging. And I never in my life ever did this before, but what made me do it, I don't know. The guy that I had practiced law with had a saying. He'd joke and he'd say, I'm working this side of the street. And I said, I'm working this side of the street. My dad stopped dead. My dad never had any money. Uh, and he turned around, walked back, opened his wallet. He had $40. He took out the $40 and gave it to the guy and said, you disappoint me. Oh. You disappoint me. And he was right. I'd never done that ever before and I'd never done it again. But my father really meant it. And my mother, and I'm not sure I've lived up to it, but my mother would say to... I was lucky. I had one of those moms that, not a joke, everybody in the neighborhood wished she had been their mom. Uh, my mom was, we, we, my sister and I would go out on dates, we'd be due back, have to be in by 12 o'clock, and uh, 
Um, we'd come home and there'd be friends of ours. My mother would be hearing confession in the kitchen, you know. <laughs> Not a joke. We, we, we had a small split-level home, and you'd walk into the dining room, and it's immediately walked in the dining room, and the door, it was like 15 by 18, the dining room, and immediately left, there's an arch to the kitchen. There was a, a table in the corner, but you couldn't see the whole table. You could see the chair nearest the door. And my, my, my mother was consoling one of our friends. You'd walk in at 12 o'clock, and she'd go like this with her hand, like, keep moving, don't come in. She'd never, not a joke. But anyway... My mom was a, a, a really, she was an old Irish lady who was principled as hell, and she'd say, you know, Joey, bravery lives in every heart, and someday it will be summoned. Someday it will be summoned. And her, her favorite phrase was that uh, courage is the most important virtue, because without courage you can't love with abandon. It takes courage to love with abandon. So the way I guess I describe myself is, always trying to, not doing it, but kind of live up to my parents' expectations of what they expected of the four of us. And, um, and in a bizarre way, I'm still trying to do it. Uh, the book, Promise Me Dad. Um, I, uh, I hope, I get up every morning hoping that Bo's proud of me because uh, um, he made me promise that I wouldn't uh, quit. I wouldn't step aside. I'd continue to work in the things that have animated my whole life. And, uh, and so uh, I'm not sure. I'm just rambling now. I don't, it's not, <laughs> but, but it's hard to describe. I, Last thing my dad would say, he says, the lucky person gets up in the morning, and he really would say this, the lucky person gets up in the morning, puts both feet in the floor, knows what they're about to do, and thinks it still matters. Mm. Those of you who are a little bit older, think of how many people you know have been very successful and done really well at whatever their, their, their occupation was, who no longer think it matters. It doesn't get them up in the morning with a sense of purpose. And I think the greatest gift that you can give a child is uh, an opportunity to find that sense of purpose. What is it that makes them think what they're doing every day is worthwhile? And um, I was lucky. Uh, uh, my mom and dad gave me that.